The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website, northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. You'll open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're just going to look at a few verses this morning. What's the toughest trial that you've ever faced? I'll give you a minute to think about that. What circumstance in your life posed the greatest threat to your faith? Maybe a time when you questioned God, questioned his love for you, doubted him, forgot him. Trials are a very real part of life. We know that God's purpose for allowing them into our lives is for our growth, to increase our faith so that we mature and become better servants. And then we learned in Sunday school this morning also so that we can then forward his comfort on to others. That doesn't always happen, does it? It's not God's fault when it doesn't meet that purpose. It's not anything he's doing wrong, but it's it's on our own weaknesses and our own flesh and our failures. Sometimes we struggle through trials. They are tough. I just asked you to consider the toughest trial you've ever faced, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but did any of you think that the biggest trial I've ever faced was when I had a ton of money? The toughest time in my life was when I was so blessed and so successful that I had no worries. Maybe you did think that, but if you did, you probably cheated by looking at the sermon title this morning and and looking at that challenge in the bulletin. We tend to think of trials as bad times, right? We're going to learn this morning in Deuteronomy that, quote, good times can also be trials. Because when we are very physically blessed and when we're very successful, physically speaking, and prosperous, there's a danger of forgetting the one who blessed us in the first place. We become very self-sufficient. We become a little arrogant and complacent and lazy, and our lives are easy. So maybe we forget God. That's our challenge this morning from Deuteronomy 6, is that when you are blessed, do not forget the one who blessed you. So let's read Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 through 12, where Moses is going to warn the children of Israel about this. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest ye forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. At this point, jumping into Deuteronomy chapter six, you may remember the story. God has delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, but they had not yet occupied the promised land, right? They have been wandering in the wilderness for decades, almost approaching 40 years at this point, and that was their fault. God would have given them Canaan 40 years earlier had they trusted him. 
But that initial group, that initial generation that, that left Egypt, the, the adults, they were more afraid of the Canaanites in the land than, than they were of God. They didn't trust God. And so they, um, they backed off on taking the promised land and they were judged. They were judged for their lack of faith and they died in the wilderness. Moses is now in Deuteronomy, he is now speaking to the younger generation that has grown up and now they're the adults and soon they will be given the opportunity at taking the promised land. So God had delivered them from Egypt, but they still had not realized his promise, so to speak. But they would. Notice Moses' confidence in verse 10 about how they would take this land. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land. Have you ever heard someone say God's promises are not ifs, they are whens? When the Lord brings you into the land. This was a promise that he made hundreds of years earlier to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And even though that initial generation that left Egypt failed him, and even though it had been over 400 years since he had made those promises, he would keep them. God always keeps his promises. Now, for us, well, we just sang it, didn't we? We can still stand on the promises that God has made us. And I want you to understand that his promises are not dependent on your obedience. Now, you can take that the wrong way and run the other direction. And I, I don't mean it that way. I don't mean that obedience is unimportant, that your life doesn't matter, that you know, serving God is useless. Of course, I don't mean that. But there's nothing that you or I could do. There's nothing that you and I could fail to do that could undercut promises that God has made. His promises are stronger than me. His promises are stronger than you. He's too powerful for his promises to rest upon what people do. I want you to think about a few promises that God has made for us today. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's promised that. So you can trust that. God has promised that salvation in Jesus Christ is eternal life. There's nothing that can change that. That's a promise. He's promised that Jesus will return and will rule this world as king of kings. There's absolutely nothing you or I or anyone in this world can do to stop that promise from its fulfillment. He's promised his children to have a, a resurrection where we're given immortal glorified bodies so that we can be with him forever. That's a promise. You can stand on it. It's not shaky. It will happen not because of you. It will happen because God is faithful. Now, a little bit like Israel awaiting the land, I guess we could say it that way. All of those promises haven't been fulfilled just yet. right? Well, they're still in the future. We're waiting on some of that. But don't forget what Peter wrote. Peter wrote, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter there was specifically talking about the promise of Christ's return. When you think about why has Jesus not come back yet? This world is terrible. This world is getting worse every day. Does he not know what's going on? Is he not, is he not ready for this? God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's not delayed. He hasn't forgotten. He's not trying to summon up the strength. One of the main reasons why Jesus has not returned is to give more opportunity for people to repent. He's patient. You and I can trust that God will do everything that his word says he will do at the perfect time. And be thankful for his patience because you and I all know people who need Jesus as Savior, who have not trusted him yet. And every day they're given another opportunity. So when Moses was talking to these, these Israelites who had been away from Canaan for 400 plus years and they had not yet realized the land, they had not yet taken that promise, Moses is confident in it. When God brings you into this land, it's not so much about them, it's more about God. The idea of God bringing them into the land is, doesn't make a lot of sense in English, but the idea in the Hebrew is sort of like, God will cause you to enter into the land. God's going to do it. He's going to bring you in and give you this land that he swore to their ancestors. Now, after he mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we almost have this parenthetical statement. Um, the, way, the ESV translation even kind of sets it apart with dashes, if you have an ESV. I don't remember if other translations actually set it apart or not. But what Moses sort of does is he almost chases a rabbit and just starts describing the land and describing the blessings that are going to be in the land before he kind of comes back to his main point. That's how you know Moses was a good Baptist preacher. He could chase a rabbit if he needed to. And then he'd come back to his main point, right? Um, so look in verse 10 again. When God gave them this land, it would be instant prosperity. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 10. With great and good cities that you did not build. It takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of sweat, a lot of resources to build a city, much less great cities. The Israelites were going to be blessed so much by God that they would just walk into these amazing cities and inherit them without the work, the sweat, the toil, all the time of, of building. God was just giving it to them. This, though, as he continues, it's almost like one of those infomercials. But wait, there's more. He just keeps going. Look at verse 11. And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. Wouldn't you love to be handed the keys to your dream home? Fully furnished, fully paid for. All you have to do is take the keys and go enjoy it. There's no uh, carpet color shopping. Some of y'all are building a house right now. It's probably fun stuff. Right? <laughs> no shopping for furniture. You don't have to worry about setting up the Wi-Fi. That'd take me about three months to figure out how to do that. You just walk in and enjoy it. But there's more. Keep going. 
and cisterns that you did not dig. Indoor plumbing wasn't quite yet a thing in the ancient world, but they needed water just like we did. So in the ancient world, one of the most important things, especially if you're going to settle down, is to find water. And a lot of times that happened by digging wells and having a cistern that you could draw that water from. But that wasn't easy. Water doesn't just pop up every time you dig anywhere. It does in our parking lot, but not everywhere else. I'm glad you all got that. That was for Brother Richard. <laughs> Maybe not. But it doesn't happen every time you dig everywhere. And so there was a lot of tedious, hard work, and even we would say maybe trial and error in the, in the ancient times of digging wells and trying to find water. But the Israelites were going to go into this land, and they, the wells are already dug. God is just giving them this. But wait, there's more. Look at the end of verse 11, or towards the end. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. We probably don't catch the transition here, but vineyards and olive trees are different from the shelter and the water that he just mentioned because shelter and water are essentials. You're not gonna survive without shelter and water. It's, you're just not. But you can survive without vineyards and olive trees. Now they're, they're helpful, they're beneficial, but they're not vital. So vineyards would give grapes, which would obviously allow for some delicacies and then especially in the ancient world, wine. And what they would do in the ancient world is they would take their water and dilute it with a little wine and that made the water a lot safer to drink. So it would be a good thing to have vineyards, but you could drink water without it, without being diluted. Um, not having grapes would not mean you were gonna die. They were, I don't know if we would say a delicacy, but they were a convenience but God was gonna give that to them. Olives were a little more important because they're very versatile. In the ancient world, they used olives for all sorts of things from minor luxuries, we would say, like kind of soaps and perfumes and lotions, all the way to more important things um, like cooking and even using it for, for lighting lamps and things like that. Those are important things, but again, they're not crucial, vital necessities. And the point I want you to see is this. God did not simply give the Israelites what they needed to survive, food and water and shelter. He went beyond that. He supplied blessings that made their lives better. Just good things to make their lives more enjoyable. If I can borrow from a New Testament quote of Paul, God did far more abundantly than all they could ask or think. He didn't just bring them into this land and give them what they needed to scrape by. But he gave them these amazing blessings to enjoy. And I want to remind you of this. Sometimes it's just good to hear this and be reminded of this. It is not wrong to enjoy God's blessings. Don't you ever feel bad about enjoying something God has given you. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter three that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. What would the world say? For tomorrow we die. That's not what Solomon said. He said, because this is God's gift to man. 
It's a lot different from the worldly attitude of, of eat, drink, and be merry. Solomon said, take pleasure in it because it's God's gift. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul reminded wealthy Christians of this, that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul wrote that in the New Testament. Now, Paul also went a little bit further and he said, don't be greedy with those things. Don't be selfish with those things. Be ready to share. Be generous. But don't ever feel bad about enjoying what God has given you. Praise him for it. Be thankful for it. If it's good in your life, it's from him. Didn't James teach us that? James 1.17, he wrote, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above, right? Comes from God. He said, It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning, shadow due to change. God is good and there's nothing you can do about it. Everything good in your life comes from Him. Your responsibility then is to be a good steward by enjoying it with thanksgiving, by being generous with it and helping others with it and praising Him and being truly thankful for it. When's the last time you counted up your blessings and enjoyed them and then gave them away and just blessed God for them, praised Him for them? God's so good to us. And He was so good to the ancient Israelites, giving them all of these things. So there's no, no surprise at the end of verse 11 when this parenthetical statement kind of closes and he stops describing the land that he, he gets back to his main point and he says, when you eat and are full, yeah. If you walk into cities you didn't build and houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and olive trees you didn't plant and you just, you are given all of this, you're gonna be satisfied. <laughs> you're gonna eat and you're gonna be full. How many of you would sign up for that life right now? If I, we've got the family farm sign-up sheet out there. What if the sign-up sheet said, who wants everything? Right, I, need a, I would need a longer sign-up sheet. What if the sign-up sheet said, this side will be destitute and poor and this side will be rich? Which trial do you want? They're both trials. Let's be honest, right? We're all going to sign up for the trial of being rich. Let's try that one for a while. <laughs> There's a wise man who wrote in Proverbs. It wasn't Solomon. It was another author. He said, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Wherever you are in life, rich, poor, middle class, or somewhere in between all of that stuff, be content, be thankful with whatever God has given you. And give him the credit that he may know the sweet spot for your life. Wonder why I'm not a billionaire. Maybe it's because God knows what a billion dollars would do to Matt Thornton. God knows exactly what is right for you. But we know that a lot of people in this world we would sign up for the good life, right? Just be honest. 
and most people would do it selfishly. But I want you to think about what the Israelites should have thought of here. They should have had the mindset of that if God is giving us all of this and it's just provided for me, then I have no excuse not to serve God. No excuse. And that's the attitude that we need to have. If God will provide for me, and he does, and he will, then we have no reason not to serve him. No excuse. That's what should happen, is that God's blessings and his provisions should motivate us to service. They should remove excuses. Well, I can't do this. I've got to make sure this is going on. Just trust God. I can't do this. I've got to spend all my time doing this. Let him provide for you. You have no excuse not to serve him. But we know that what often happens in, in our lives is that when things are easy and when we're well taken care of, we may forget God. It's a real danger. Look at verse 12 again. Moses is going to warn the Israelites about this. He said, when all of this happens, when you're given everything and you're satisfied, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Take care here is a warning. It's not a farewell. Sometimes in the South when we're leaving, we'll say, take care. You know, that's not what this word means. It has the idea of be careful. Watch out. Be on your guard. Pay attention to something. Something along those lines. And so here the specific warning is be careful not to forget God. What kind of implications would forgetting God have in your life? Think about it, really. It's not just a mental thing. That's part of it, obviously. But if you forgot God, you wouldn't pray. You wouldn't read your Bible. You wouldn't serve him. You wouldn't come to church. You wouldn't teach your children about him. You wouldn't have any conversations about him with your family, your friends. You wouldn't, you wouldn't worship him. You wouldn't serve him. Forgetting God has a lot of implications in your life. And that's the trial or the danger of being blessed. We so often tend to think of trials as, as bad times, but we need to be on guard during good times. Sometimes it is true that, that bad times drive us to our knees. And they do make us rely on God more, which is a good thing. It's one of the points of those trials. But sadly, though, sometimes when we have the smooth sailing, no worries, you know, everything's good, we get complacent, we get lazy, we get a little arrogant and think that we're self-sufficient and, God, I'll call you if I need you. When do you not need God? That's where I think we, we miss a lot. When things are going good, Listen, your need for God doesn't fluctuate. Sometimes our awareness of our need for God does, but we need God every second of every day. Say, okay, well, what's the safeguard for not forgetting him if we're blessed and we have a, a, a nice, prosperous, successful life? What's, what's the safeguard? Moses gave us part of the answer already. It's just to have the awareness that it could happen. Be on guard. 
be alert, take care. If you realize that this is a real danger, then that'll go a long way in, in helping this. Good leaders do not warn people about fake dangers. Think about parents. If you're a parent or I know you all had parents. So did your parent ever warn you when you were playing outside to be be aware of those elephant stampedes? Just watch out. No. Why did they never warn you about that? It's not a real danger, at least not here, right? But what did they say? Be careful when you're playing in the street or don't play in the street at all. Why? Because a car might come by. That's a real danger. So we warn people about real dangers and that's what Moses is doing here. So if we just simply follow his advice and command of watching out, be careful. This is a real danger that if you have things good, you could forget God. Just be aware of that. That's one step. The second step in not forgetting God comes at the end of verse 12. It's remembering what God's done for you. Verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord. And what did God do for the Israelites? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So for the Israelites, they needed to remember what God did for them. They were enslaved in Egypt and God sent Moses and delivered them out of that bondage. They needed to think back to what God did for them in the past to set them free. So what does that mean for us? Well, no matter what physical blessings you have, no matter how enjoyable your life may be at the moment or, or even how bad it is. Never neglect to look back to the cross of Jesus Christ and remember what Jesus did for you when he died. Never forget that. He did that. He died for you to set you free from sin slavery, to forgive you so that you could be right with the God who made you. It's really, really hard to forget God while remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. I would probably say it's impossible. Go back to the cross. Well, what can I do to keep that at the forefront of my mind? Right? What, if I need to remember the cross and, and think about what Jesus has done for me, what can I do to to help that be in my mind? You know the answer to that. Pray, read your Bible, talk about the Lord in your homes, be faithful to church, all of those things. Those, we help each other when we're here. In, in, in our classes, in, in services, we help sort of stir each other up, right? And we help each other be reminded of what Christ has done for us. There may be here someone today, uh, there may be someone here today who knows what Jesus did, knows the story of Jesus becoming a man and living perfectly and dying on the cross for our sins and being resurrected. 
They may know he's the son of God. They may know he's the savior. But maybe you've never personally repented and trusted him as your personal savior. That's a decision that nobody can make for you. You have to do that on your own. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, you know you're lost, you know you're a sinner, and you know Jesus is the only one who can save you. Repent of your sins and trust him, and he will set you free. That's a promise. He will save you. You can do that this morning if his spirit convicts you and you trust him. Now for everyone here, I feel like this is a really applicable passage for us just because of where we're blessed to live. We're blessed to live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. I'm not filthy rich, never have been, never will be, but I've never missed a meal. I've never worried about where I was going to lay down at night. I've never worried about where my next drink of water was coming from. And I have a lot more blessings than just that. And I know you're the same. We're very blessed. But let's not let the blessings of God backfire and cause us to forget the one who gave those things to us. I've talked with a, a, my best friend since I've was 10 years old. He's a, good, he's a good guy. He's been on several different mission trips uh, around the world and, and several what we would call poorer countries. Um, and he has you know, met believers in those parts of the world where life is just physically tougher than it is here. And, and he and I have talked, he says, almost without fail, those places, those Christians have more joy and more thanksgiving than Christians here in America. That's often true. It doesn't have to be true in your life. If you're blessed, enjoy it. Be generous with it and be thankful to God for it. It would be really sad to let something good God gave you to cause you to forget him. That's, that's completely reverse of what should happen. So let me end by taking this application just one step further, not just on a personal level, but with our church. I really can't wrap my mind around how good God has been to us. And I mean physically, tangibly, okay? I'm, we're kind of talking about that. We've got an amazing location. We've got a very beautiful, comfortable building that we can meet in. Um, we've got great instruments for our music, a, a good sound system. We even had new things today that, where we can hear and concentrate without distractions. Um, we have the ability to live stream our services, and that's a blessing to others who can't come all the time or even live in different areas. We have people in different areas that watch our services on live stream. It's such a blessing. This past Wednesday night, we, we voted to, you know, move forward with repaving our parking lot, which we knew was coming up for a while. And, you know, that's not cheap, but God gave it to us. We had the ability to, to make that decision pretty easily. And um, we want to be good stewards of what God's given us and take care of what he's given us. 
And along with that, though, you're the most giving and generous church I've ever seen. With the help of other churches as well, we, we are able to sponsor three missionaries. We help the seminary. Um, from time to time, we, we help other people or, or churches that we know are in need doing different things. Um, and then hopefully we've even been talking about you know, more opportunities to come. Let's be careful, though. Take care. Don't be arrogant and think that we did this. Don't forget who gave us all of this and who gives us the ability to give it to others. It would be a shame to be a church who was so blessed and then forget the one who blessed her. So let's not do that. As a church, let's be thankful for what God has done for us. But even more so than walls and air conditioning and things like that, especially be thankful for, for what Jesus did for us. It would be a whole other sermon for me to talk a lot about this, but if you know Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't matter what you have in this life. You are rich. Let's stand. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Prepare for an invitation. Father, we thank you so much for the good blessings in our lives that you give us. Help us to enjoy those. Help us to be generous with those things. Help us to be thankful for them. Help us to be on our guard not to forget you when you bless us. Please use us in our lives personally and as a church just to be good witnesses for you, Lord, and point others to your love. We're so thankful for Jesus and what he did for us, and we ask all these things in his name. Amen.